0: Hello, my name is Reggie Young. I'm here with Tom. Tom, if you could give us a quick rundown of a little bit of who you are, how you got started, and what you're up to.
1: Cool. Thank you, Reggie. So my name is Thomas Parkinson. You probably guess I'm from England. Right now, I'm living in Mexico City. And a little bit of my background, I'm 36 years old. And the last, I think, six years, don't quote me, I've been, you say, traveling, you know, Vietnam, Thailand, all around the world. Right now, Mexico, of course. But in addition to that, I'm an Amazon seller, particularly in the arbitrage space. So reselling products, buying Walmart, selling on Amazon. Uh, about five years ago, I started in the UK, been running that. And today that business is doing, last 12 months, of revenue about three and a half million. About a, three years ago, I started Track FBA, which is a service company, which we teach people how to do arbitrage or like reselling, flipping products. So we do leads, we do courses about how to sell, we do VAs, that we do as well, so that's we do some software products as well. They're quite niche. And then, in addition to that, about a year ago, I started selling in the USA, doing exactly the same model. I think the last twelve months, revenue is about one point two million as well. And also, I like to travel. Like, I really enjoy that. I love business mindset, and obviously, meeting cool new people like yourself, Reggie.
0: Awesome, really cool introduction, and obviously, big numbers. I remember when we first met in Mexico City. You were, we had given like a talk each at like a little meetup there. And you had just launched in the US and I think you literally had just launched, right? So I think it's really cool. You took your success in one marketplace and immediately brought it to another marketplace and then reached seven figures in it. So very impressive there. Thank you. I want to talk about is right now, like the business model. So if you could explain maybe what the overall business model and how someone can get started or just like general advice on.
1: Well, cool. so at a very fundamental level, what we do is we find the products, what we do also known as RA is kind of retail arbitrage, which is where you go in-store. We do also known as online arbitrage, where you go online. So instead of going into Walmart, in-store, we'd actually go online. So we'll basically go online to Walmart and we'll find a product, I don't know, anything, it could be like a fans, so you know, some vitamin pills, doesn't matter. We'll find them for one price and then we'll check what those prices are on Amazon and also we're looking for a difference. Generally, we're looking for the price to be roughly double what it is in Amazon. So buy something for 10 bucks in Walmart, resell it for double in Amazon. From that we'll probably to say turn two, $3 profit after all fees and taxes and everything else expenses. And we can do that entire model online. So at the fundamental level, we find a product online for half the price it is in Amazon. We buy it, we ship it to a prep center or a warehouse that we pay a third party service for. I don't own it. We pay a fee to them to receive it, inspect it, consolidate it with other packages, ship it into Amazon. Amazon, through the FBA program, store it in their warehouses and put it onto their website. And then they'll send it at 20 bucks. They'll take out their fee. We'll then obviously get about 13 bucks left. That's it. And then the idea is that we're going to be able to keep the three buck difference after all our costs, for example, the VAs pet centers, et cetera, et cetera. This model simple, find products. And then once you've found these products, what, all you're going to do is just then, she say, expand and, and keep scaling that. Find more and more products across different suppliers, Walmart, Target, Sears, for example. And the good thing about doing it online is you can use labor in other countries. For example, I have right now for about 75 staff across the Philippines who are using, who are doing half of which do the Amazon business the so half of which do the service company. But that's it. We just keep scaling it up. We have people who find the products, people who review them and buy them, and then people who do administration. Really, three core roles, and we scaled that up to you know, just shy of probably what five million US dollars in sales across two marketplaces.
0: Excellent. And would you say like one of the benefits of retail arbitrage is that you don't have to pay for any up upfront cost of inventory? Would you say that's like probably one of the, the Not biggest? Not really. So we. Role?
1: Yeah, so we do pay for it. So we have to pay. We have to invest the money first because we're buying it from Walmart, shipping it to the warehouse and then we ship it to Amazon, hold it in Amazon's warehouses, wait for it to sell and then it will sell. The model you're talking about would be more drop shipping whereby we look at Walmart, the price, say for example, 10 bucks, and then we list it on Amazon. And when it sells on Amazon, then we go to Walmart, we buy it, and we ship it directly to the Amazon customer. You can do that, but it's technically against Amazon's terms of service because their drop shipping model says that you cannot ship anything to the customer with any other brand name other than our own, or she's a supplier name. So if the documentation that gets to the customer has Walmart and obviously the price, the customer's going to be a bit annoyed. And that puts Amazon's customers annoyed, and that puts our account at risk and probably mm-hmm. loses the business. And so, we do invest the money quite a lot, but it, it definitely scales and it definitely works. And I really like the model.
0: Yeah, interesting. And I've never done RA at all. So you can tell that I don't really know what I'm talking about because I just overlapped it with dropshipping. But one thing I've always kind of heard is like kind of what you mentioned, right? It being against terms, the dropshipping model from one marketplace to another being against terms of service from, a, from an RA perspective with what you're doing, what kind of terms of service or boundaries or restrictions do you have? Or problems that you have in your business model, and how do you kind of scale past that?
1: I think it's a really interesting question, and there's a lot of like, she say, people say you can't do this, you can't buy from Walmart and sell on Amazon. At a very fundamental level, what do we do? We do what's known as trade: buy low from one supplier and resell high to the other. Now, Amazon state in their terms of service, by the way, the drop shipping, arbitrage, wholesale distribution, manufacturer, all they are is reselling other people's products but the change in where you're supplying the product from, and really the distribution model. Amazon don't talk about distribution models in regards to their terms of service. What they do say is that you need to be able to verifiably prove that the products you're purchasing come, you say can be traced back to the manufacturer. So if they have any questions about the authenticity of your products, they need to be able to prove it came back to the manufacturer. Now, we have time and time again, had many customers complain about inauthentic or problems. And it just happens, you know, someone says like a makeup's not, the time again, we've taken the Walmart invoice, which by the way, it doesn't look particularly great. We sent it to Amazon and they said, absolutely fine, no problem. So Amazon doesn't particularly state that we will accept Walmart invoices, but what we can assume is a behind the scenes Amazon says we can trace that Tom purchases from Walmart, and we believe that Walmart is buying from the manufacturer, or she we say, within what's called authorized distribution. So we believe that this product, within reason, is authentic. And I'm not talking about one or two times. I'm talking about we probably get this complaint every single week, especially in the US. And every single time we provide the invoice, and every single time they take the complaint away from us. So that's the only kind of, should we say, thing whereby there's potential. Issue with terms of service. There isn't actually an issue. It's just a perceived issue because people think you can't do what we're doing, but we do. There are other problems around, like Walmart might not want us to buy the products from them to resell. That would be another one. But it's definitely not a, like there's no issues with Amazon terms of service so long as we're selling legitimate products. A good example of the inverse of that would be buying products from eBay to sell on warm or sell on Amazon. And the eBay products being fakes because we're not buying the legitimate resale. It might be someone they're buying from China, for example, and not legitimate things. You do have those problems, but we just stay well clear of those and we stay at work with generally big box stores, brands that people know of. And Amazon accepts the invoices. Why? Because we want to make sure we maintain our hours and selling account at all times and not risk that for us who say a fast buck.
0: Excellent. And um, so that makes me think, right? Like a lot of, Narratives across different business models, whether it's RA, drop shipping, TikTok to Facebook ads to Shopify store, you know, one page websites. You'll always hear in every single business model that it's dead. It doesn't work because of this. Terms of service doesn't allow that. The reality is, and the way I like to think about it is everything sells. And if it's something that you like doing, you find a a system and a process that works, you know, you scale that out and you've done that in an amazing way. And go ahead.
1: No, agreed. I, I think it's really interesting. I think it doesn't. There, every single business in the world, every single business model, every business idea, we can find reasons why you can't do it or like you can't do it, should we say. But mm-hmm. what's really interesting is our job as entrepreneurs and our job as business people is to find the ways to make it happen. And, and the, the thing which I generally say to people when I think about it is that the higher the barrier to entry, the more gold there is on the other side. I use the analogy of when I first started doing entrepreneurialism, like, my God, I looked at affiliate marketing and I was like, wow, you just send people these links and you get rich overnight. Obviously, it doesn't work like that because people don't want to take the links and et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, the barrier to entry is so low, it's so easy and like there's so much information. But when people say you can't do it for some reasons, you know, we know people, we say, who've made very good money, probably doing things that maybe aren't 100% within terms of service, or perhaps maybe other people said you can't do it. And because of that barrier to entry, they've done really well out of it. And it's the very nature of entrepreneurism that we look for opportunities whereby opportunities don't precisely exist and we expand them and we exploit them. And our reward is by making money or, she said, say, maybe a quality of life, whatever what we want, which I think is an amazing time to live in because we've seen more of it, you know, if you go back in the whole history of time, you would say, since any time that I could live, you would say right now is the best time to live because are more opportunity than there's ever been. And I think that's incredible. And. And I think our job is to say, when we see obstacle, we go, cool. Where can I find the solution? Like, what can I do next? Like not, work oh, okay, I'll stop. Like we don't give up. Yeah. I remember
0: when we first met a little backstory and how we met, again, we met in Mexico city, which is where you're working out of now. I'll be there in a month. So I'm looking forward to catching up, but I had given a talk at uh, at a meetup about how to hire and train virtual assistants. And it was actually my first talk ever. As an entrepreneur outside of the military, and it was I was super nervous. and It was in like in a small little cafe type of thing, and it was right after one of my friends, Dino, uh, who I helped hire a, a virtual assistant, and I've hired, I've helped like a few people at that point hire. And people were like, "Hey, you can charge like a good amount of money for this." And I was like, "But I was like, maybe I'll start like doing like a little personal brand and helping people here because I've learned a lot throughout this process." And so I gave the talk. It was a great time. I enjoyed the talk. I learned a lot about. Talk. I I learn a lot about it now. Like literally, I was on a podcast before this and one yesterday, and I'm still trying to get better at it. I have this problem of not looking at the camera when I (laughs) talk. You know, for me personally, it's too much input. I, I, like, I literally, I start to like lose my train of thought. Anytime I talk to anyone, I'm always kind of like staring off to the side, not really paying attention. But it really helps me focus. So I'm trying to like work on the appearance and be like, here I am staring at the camera while I talk to you. But kind of slowly trying to get better over time, forcing it to work and finding ways to make it work but so we met that we met we didn't meet at that talk You said you want to go to it but the next day we're at WeWork and never met you before right and uh, we're both part of a mastermind community and i think you, you just shot a message you're like oh that's really cool like you know how's the talk this and that i'm at we too i'm like oh really and then we like turn around and i'm like hey nice to meet you man and then we're talking and like, yeah, you know, so here's like my system, here's what I'm using. And, you're, and then you're like, yeah, you know, I've got like, I forget how much you had at that time. It was like, I think it was definitely less than you have now, but significantly more than I had. And I was like, whoa, like you should probably should have been the one giving the talk. So one, I thought that was just a fun story about how we met. Uh, and then after that, we like, we went right to lunch and we were like, which I love that we were, right? When you're traveling, you make money in your own time. We just take lunch whenever we want. We set our own schedule we go downstairs, you already know, cool cafe or like restaurant nearby. And we're just talking business, which I love like talking business. So I really loved that. And then specifically, I loved kind of hearing your story about how you started off in management and kind of like got to where you are now. And then afterwards we come back, you show me your website and you kind of start showing me the software that you were like kind of building out, learning how to code for yourself. And so if you could maybe speak a little bit about the software that you're using right now in in your team and how you're leveraging that in your current business model.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. When I first started, oh my God, this is a long journey. When I first started, we realized we're doing like analysis. So we're looking at products online. So this is Amazon and we're using API connections. And I started off using little tools and Google Sheets and it became a nightmare. And then I'm like, I'm an electronic engineer by trade, but I failed my degree. So I'm not, very good, but I have conceptual ideas, and I understand that. So I realized that Excel spreadsheets are just not really quick enough for what we need. And then I learned about databases. I kind of knew what they were, but I'd say I said knew that they were the solution I used to do. So I spent like three years learning to code in PHP, MySQL, do to AWS. I figure out how to do all that. Then we created some software, and I created a system whereby I could kind of find deals online, you know, Amazon, to, you know, Walmart to Amazon, should we say? And then I had VAs that are going to analyze them. And I realized that the software wasn't very good. It wasn't the most reliable. I'm not the best software developer. I just hacked stuff together. You know, entrepreneur, yeah, yeah, work stuff, man, move on, next one. So what did we do? We basically said, so I basically said, I can't sell the software, but I could sell the results of the software. So I filtered it through VAs and then we created another bit of software whereby we sold the information. So I developed that and, and that was really useful. Like we just kept, you know, like every day you have like, 20 to a hundred different products that you could buy for half the price. You could resell them on Amazon for pretty much. We showed all the information, all lots of different API connections. And we went through two versions of that. And even now, if me as an entrepreneur, I still have a really good appreciation of software development, but I've realized that I can't be the one who does this. I'm the visionary in the business. I'm the person who sets the direction. This is what you should do. I give the oversight. I give the, you know, convert that vision into an operate, you know, into like how the product should look. And so we've now gone out of the process of, you say, hiring a software team. We now have nine software developers and two QA testers. So we're building out lots of different bits of software to support our sellers, We're also supporting my own business as well. Um, and that's been a challenge in itself and like, you know, developing teams and doing software and like, they know way more than I do because I used to know everything about my business. Now I'm like, now I have to talk conceptually rather than specifically. And we have to talk about outcomes rather than processes because I, can't, I don't understand software processes to the level they do. And then also I have to try and convert um, how my outcome might be considered in a process format and they might change their process history. that That background in software development has been really key to help me do it. But also I, I think at a very fundamental level, If you think about entrepreneurialism, if you think about business ownership, like our job is to take advantage of leverage. At the end of the day, we have a dream, we have a vision, we're going somewhere and we can do it ourselves. It might take 50 years, but if we can leverage other people's time, other people's money, other people's networks, other people's, you know, computer systems, like there's so many different forms of leverage that we can combine that together to turn that 50 years into five years down into five months. And it's our ability as entrepreneurs or should I say, business owners, operators, to, to convert that vision into a reality and then build a team around us, which can bring it into life through the form of leverage. And for me, when I look at like software, it was about not only is it going to help my own business internally, but we can help external customers. And I remember listening to a lot of things where like if you hear about people who work in Google, they were like, Google's amazing, but the internal tools aren't as amazing as you might think they were. Like some of them are a bit rubbish. He's like, why? Because they spend all the money on customer-facing stuff. And I'm like, why do they do that? They do that because there's value in it. And also as well, you know, it helps. I think the founders talk about like, try and solve a million people's problems. If you can't solve a million people's problems, it's not worth doing. The internal problems aren't a million. The external people's problems are. And I'm like, right. So when we build this software, let's not focus just on us. Let's focus on the customers. Let's build that team out. And I'm always thinking about, you know, we do it with entrepreneurs. I would love to build this out. Like, great, cool. It's like a two month project. It's like, no, think about the long-term. What value does this bring to other people? And also what's the long-term vision of this? And, and I, I mean, now something about like, they help a million people. Like you might not help a million people, but it, if it's going to help a hundred or 10,000, go for the 10,000. And that's that mindset thinking, long-term vision, thinking, using leverage and but I think also as well, you know, if you look at the, su- a lot of successful people in the space, a lot of them have had a lot of, she say exposure and I'm saying they're experts. So they've had exposure to software development. They understand the concepts of it. Like I've done a lot around software development, life cycles, process logic driven. And my God, you know, when we write SVPs, I'm literally going through a bloody, you know, like a, like a, if this, then that formula, like. Nonstop. I'm doing some work on Amazon repricing right now. And my team member who's doing it all, she's like, stop talking, go through the flow. Like, I want you to literally answer every single question in exactly the same flow. And we're looking for the errors because I want you to be a robot. Why? Because then you can be a robot. I can then create a program that replaces you. And then you can find the anomalies, which will then help make this program better. But at the end of the day, if you're the person doing this thing, if only you are doing it and it's not a structured process, then we're not learning. We're just really guessing. And software development really helps with that. So, it's, Coming back to your question, like software has been a challenge. took three years to learn what I needed to learn, but it's helped my business massively. Also, there's a piece about like automation of your business, which is improving efficiency. And we've done a lot of that with our internal tools. But also I think it's any entrepreneur, number one is about software is really helpful in creating a good mindset, but also number two is about how you process and structure your business and what you do and outcomes. And then finally, number three is about thinking the bigger picture. Hey, if I'm going to build this myself, how could I tweak it slightly that I help other people? Now, suddenly your internal tools become your revenue generators. And you're like, wow, that's game-changing. Yeah,
0: she's absolutely love that. I literally have like 12 things I want to talk about now after hearing what you just said. So I'm trying to slow. No, I love it. I love it. I love talking. This is why I wanted to bring you on the show is like, these are the conversations you and I had at lunch. You remember? It's just like, I love it. So the first thing I want to kind of hit the audience with like, is I find this extremely motivating. So you think about someone creating, you know, having a solid understanding of code and then scaling past that to the point where you don't even understand the code anymore, but you're the one providing this strategic vision, right? And I think I saw like a stat somewhere, like some of the biggest startups like Airbnb and then these other ones, they're founders of people who don't know how to code. So I'm actually in the process right now of outsourcing the creation of a Shopify app for some of the ideas that I have. My, I have a family member who, after years and years and decades in industry, is changing and trying to become more of a software developer now. And I'm actually a little bit excited to try and bring our that person's like n- new knowledge together with my marketing idea and then probably a couple of YouTube videos and some outsourcing with a virtual assistant to see if I can scrap together a piece of software and then use that as either a lead funnel for my business or kind of moving things forward. So I love what you've done. And I want anyone who's listening to be thinking about all the different ways in which Thomas right now has created monetization in his life and stability in his life by leveraging his past experience in his current business and how he's Trying to project that forward into more eventuality So I think that's just, to me, it's motivating, and I wanted to motivate other people. One is like, I don't know how to code at all. I took, I like tried computer engineering at university. I quit after like the first week. I literally studied like the whole weekend, went to like a second lesson, and it just went right over my head. And then I had to go to water survival for my military class. I was like, this is just too much. I did two semesters of computer science. I was like, ah, this is interesting, but with what my workload right now, I don't want to deal with it. And now, you know, I think about all the money being made, recurring revenue from from software startups and the businesses that happened there. When COVID hit my business, it really put a strain on my supply chain. And it's part of the reason why I've shifted some of my business goals towards personal branding and my externality of trying to create some type of basic software. One for fun, because I love doing new projects like this, but just to create new, interesting ideas and new projects to help other people. Like you said, like, what's the biggest problem I can solve and how can I capture such a wide audience? That's kind of what I'm looking to do now. So that's one point. The next point is Google. So one thing I love about you, Thomas, is I find you hyper observant of other people's business models, hyper observant and a massive learner. And I remember it was like a a week after we met. And I think you were hiring more people. And I I, you know, we always will come up behind each other. What you working on? Right. We work. Like, what you working on? And I thought it was super interesting that you were learning about culture and how they're strategically organized at Google. I thought that was insanely smart and very inquisitive. And so kind of taking that and putting those systems and taking what you like about that into your business. And even we talk about outsourcing of virtual assistants where we all have our own way of adding value and trying to create positive work culture in our business. And I saw you had... Uh, like kind of created like a reward system or like a, a feedback system inside of your business. So if you could maybe touch on that really quickly on w- what you're able
1: to do there. Yeah, I think it's like, so we have obviously we like, kind of like structure wise, we have like two Amazon businesses, Amazon UK, Amazon USA, and then we have like a service-based company. Within the service company, we have product structures, so like people who work on the exact products, and then you have the usual functions like software desk. Marketing, sales, and we even have like someone who does HR, and then we have obviously sits about that, and we have like finance as well. Um, and the real kind of question which I ask, I always ask the question is like, again, you're talking about leverage. It's like my job is to try and utilize the leverage around me towards a direction. And there's a saying I read in a book called Traction, which everyone is reading. Like, read this book. Like, it's the most amazing book ever. We based on entire companies off it. But they say something like, if you can align your teams on the call, the same goal in the same direction, doing the same things, you'll be any competitor in any marketplace at any time of year. And really, our job as leaders is about defining a clear vision and focusing everyone towards that goal. And the reason why I say that is because the clearer your vision is to the people within your company, the more they're going to be able to understand where you're going, the destination. And then what they're also going to be able to do is they're going to be able to, should we say, answer the little micro questions which is going to help to get towards that destination. Nine times out of ten, we're getting bombarded with lots of questions. And your simple answer has got to be, how does this help? Well, or you know, what decision would make the best way towards our vision? And you could literally probably just use some question or a reiteration of that question in different formats. And people would understand. They'll figure their own way out. And you're, it's because why? We only have 24 hours in the day. And it's the ability of us to be able to impart where our vision is and how to get there to our team members. That enables them to get on with what they're doing faster, more efficiently, more quickly. And I say it to my team over and over again. I'm like, you will make mistakes, that's fine. But so long as when you make those mistakes and you question them, you can justify why you made that decision that later turned out to be a mistake towards that goal, fine, absolutely mine. I'm not here to micromanage you, nor do I ever want to. I want autonomy, I want results, and the results are towards that. And my goal is to define the vision, break it down into measurables, and then break it down into quarter measurables and say, hey, Everyone that's moving towards this. And my strategic objective within my team is to look for examples whereby my team are taking that, should a focus towards the grand vision, making decisions on their own and to show a spotlight on it. So I'll literally take like this person today, they did this decision, it caused this action, which is helping us towards this, you know, vision and purpose, vision, mission, and values. It's the vision of where your company's going, like... They did this, it helped us towards this because of this. And I just want everyone to know, I, I want to put this person on a pedestal. Why? Because I want other people to look at, I'm recognizing that person for using their initiative, getting results across measurables that we're looking at. And like, this is the behavior and really it's behavior. We want this behavior within our company. We recognize it. What I'm not doing is pointing people failing. I'm highlighting great successes. Why? Because I want everyone else to rise to that level. And I realize that you know Tony Robbins talks about it like you are get you get what you tolerate. And for me, it's about number one, we're looking at the lower baseline and trying to reduce that tolerance. So say people are underperforming, we're holding them accountable, and if they're not right, we'll let them go. But the other one, let's raise the standard. Let's top. Let's create a higher tolerance. Let's higher the standard. Let's tell our team where we're going. And the advantage of it too is that. Uh, I obviously run two businesses, Amazon UK and USA, and you know they're like forty staff, nearly five million US. I run those two companies in what two and a half hours a week. They're so structured, they're so thin, We know exactly where we're going. And by the way, when we talked about the Google thing, is what I really wanted. I built the structures so that what I realized in a service company that no one cared about the service company. They care about the results the service company can give. That's why we also talk like about user-generated content. That's why we always talk about customer reviews and everything because they are the results, not the actions. So what I realized was that I can't get people to give me their content and stuff. So why don't I create my own content by my service company doing the results in my own businesses. And then my business has now become the marketing for the service company, which is exactly how we market. And what's really interesting when we talk about Google is I really wanted what's known as cross-functional teams. I wanted my marketing team to see something in the marketing space and ask my team do we do this? And if so, can we have some content about it? And they go, yes. And then the marketing team can take it. And even when it's about a product, the product goes to my new Amazon team, say, this is the problem my customers are having. How do you solve it? What can we do to improve? And voila. And I wanted to facilitate that communication without me, all towards the end of helping people sell on Amazon to make money. That's it. Yeah. I love I that love it. That the, goal.
0: the strategic ideas that you have behind that. Because it's like as business owners, we have to think super high level because we can't be. Behind the keyboard, making the code, filling the orders. Like it's just not scalable. So I love, and that again, going back to like you went all the way from company culture and Google to something is focused of a question of how do you create cross functional teams that better the business without your input, right? That's the question that you were able to ask yourself and then execute it and manifest it in your own business. So these are the things that I think every business entrepreneur. Should be thinking about their questions that um will it, that if you reflect on will improve your business over time, and or just make it more more like risk adverse and more provide more stability is the way I see it. For me, it's always like, what question am I not asking, and and ask and just to ask the question at the end of the day. So I, I love that that all the feedbacks that you have in in your business. I always every time I listen to you. I'm thinking about, oh, there he connected the loop again. Like I'm always seeing things very visually in my head. And every time I'm like, okay, he did this. Then there comes the loop back up into his internal team from the top, from one marketing channel to another. So I, re- again, I really love the way that you think about business and how you operate from such a strategic level. It goes to sh- like, who else is operating that you guys know personally that's in charge of 60 people? not, Not 60 people who got, and because that person was hired into a certain position, you did that yourself from the ground up. So I think it shows your business acumen from a system standpoint, strategic planning, everything and it is absolutely amazing. So it's one of the biggest reasons why I want to bring you up on the show and to hopefully motivate people to ask themselves the right questions in their business. So one of the, not the last question, but one of the kind of final questions I have here with. You are doing multiple projects, right? You have a YouTube channel when we first started. YouTube channel was still a hell of a lot bigger than mine. And I think you like passed like 10K subscribers now. You're doing a lot every single day in your business and the other businesses that you have. How important has like productivity been for you? What Like what ideas or daily things are you leveraging to kind of stay on top of all the projects that you want to be working on and kind of putting all those into action.
1: It's a really interesting question. If I just talk about YouTube or really marketing in general, because you, know, you, you break it down and YouTube's a really good example. So um, when we looked at YouTube as a channel, first of all, we identified it as a key area within the Amazon arbitrage space that people used to go to. Also as well, out of all the social media channels, all the, you know, the marketing channels, YouTube is the one that pays us. And you get long-term, like Instagram is very short tail. YouTube very long tail. Also, as well, Google SEO is like, a really good strategic position. So the question which I asked myself, first of all, what does good look like on YouTube? So we literally kind of defined it. We said, like, right, we probably want to get five videos a week out. Five is quite a lot of work, by the way. So five videos a week. And we said, okay, cool. I could probably do four videos a week. Plus, I could do one live. Because I think the different kind of recorded content plus live content is quite useful. Number two is the fact that that content should be between seven and 20 minutes long as a target should be well edited. It should be well put together and a lot of it should be evergreen content, which is how to. Now, my question is that's a lot of work. How do we do it? So I define the output, I define like the volumetrics. And by the way, when we looked at that, we looked at other YouTubers and looked at what they were doing. You know, if you look at like, if you want to be a good person on Instagram, just go find good people on Instagram who are doing really well. And like, first of all, copy what they do. Like, I have a big thing I say to myself is like, Tom, literally, I have to say it to myself, stop trying to reinvent the wheel, copy someone else, do exactly what they do, then try and improve that. Because what we try and do is we try and improve upon it before we've copied what they've done. And as a result, we didn't get half the result. So copy someone else. So like, we're trying to copy other people, seeing exactly the best thing. So four videos a week and one YouTube video. Now, my next question comes, is like, my God, I've got three companies to run. I've got a lot to do. By the way, my staff in the Philippines, I'm in Mexico City. There's a 12-hour time distance. So it's not particularly easy. It's a lot of early morning, late starts. So the next question came is, how do I deliver this result in the most efficient amount of time? And what we said is, right, I'm going to get one of my team members who does YouTube. They're going to create titles. So they literally create title ideas, SEO research. And we have a half an hour meeting once a month, which defined all the titles for the next 16, you know, four weeks, 16 videos. We go, yeah, I like that one. I like that one. I like that one. No, change that, and we can just tweet them. So I kind of I'm the Amazon seller. Then what they and also as well, when I go through, I'm going to just shout out five bullet points. Five bullet points of my chapters, and then what I'm going to do is I'm then going to go to my team member is going to go to my Amazon business, and they're going to fill in those bullet points with the content of what we need. The overlays, the screen share, whatever needs to happen, because we create this content. Then what happens is every Wednesday, I literally wake up 6 a.m. in the morning. I have my camera equipment set up. and about half past six, we start filming. And I say, what's up, Amazon sellers? And I do. We, we basically budget 30 minutes per video. And I'll literally see, the, see what they've done, tagline, chapters, and I'll just record that. There'll be gaps where I'm literally like, and so now we're going to talk about this. And, and I want to talk about this point, you know, chapters a week, my editors will cut it in. I'll literally spend 30 minutes recording that content, which I'm really happy with already, because it's a good content generated from our business. And within about two hours, two and a half hours, we're done. All I've got to do is shut down the cameras, upload the videos. It goes off to my editors. They edit it all, send it onto the YouTube channel, or upload it to YouTube. The person who wrote it tags it all up and does the stuff and then creates it all live. And what we're looking at is not only the volumetric output, which I can achieve in the smallest amount of possible time in a regular reoccurring pattern, you know, um, habits. My habit is every Wednesday at six o'clock in the morning, I wake up and record YouTube videos, that gives me four videos a week, I'm done. Monday at 11 o'clock, I do a video or 10 o'clock, I do a YouTube live for an hour. I connect with my audience, done. And then, what we do is we look at the metrics of those videos, click through rate, watch time, viewers, how search algorithms going. So, not only am I doing the output in an efficient amount of time, the people who are responsible for generating the content and also the editing are looking at the metrics of those videos to see how we can improve them. Don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect. I'm not like, you know, Mr. Beast, but does it serve a purpose? Yeah. You know, right, we do 25,000 subscribers right now. We get nearly 100,000 views a month, which is incredible for what is effectively four or three, four hours a week. That's my entire marketing done. Like, it's absolutely incredible. And again, it's about leverage, efficiency, results focused, and we do actions which generate something and then we optimize it afterwards. So that's kind of the way I look at it. And I hope that answers your question. Oh,
0: yeah, definitely. I, the, the way I'm trying to sum it up in my head is in, you input what you need to that makes it work, which is like your face on camera, your ideas, your strategic vision, and then you... Outsource the rest of your team in the most efficient manner possible. So for myself, you know, I've just started this brand, you know, brand creation, personal brand. And I was trying to get to the point where after I'm done with this Zoom, this gets cut up across different types of social media content, posts, et cetera, affiliate links, if there are any referrals, all that kind of stuff. So I've had to build out SOPs for that, tag new, some of which have now left to go and pursue college degrees and go and pursue their passion, which I'm super thankful. But the person I had trained on doing my post-editing like a month after I, I trained them, they're like, hey, sir. they've been with me for like a year and a half. They're like, hey, sir, uh, you know, thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm going to go now and become an engineer. And I'm like, sweet, congrats. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, but for me, it kind of left a hole in my content production team. Thankfully, I was doing my content production as I was learning it. So I was literally like doing the SOP screen recording and being like, this is my goal. This is how, this is me editing my first Zoom. I'm clicking here. I'm kind of figuring this out. This is how I want it to look. It probably will change, reference the SOP, and here's the software we're using. did that. I probably did like 10 videos of that for each different aspect of what I want to look for. I did that once, and now every single piece of content you guys see come out from my channel is kind of the same thing, just at a smaller scale. I recorded the content once, handed it off to my team, set the strategic vision, you know maybe some tactical advice and then they with the boots on the ground knowledge are now recommending to me hey sir you know we can clean up audio by clicking this in the software tool we can do these things so from someone just starting out know that it works and you can see thomas now at 25k subscribers i think last time i checked you were at 10 so being at 25k now and the audience and the reach that that now provides you for your business you know absolutely incredible leverage
1: I think the only thing I'd add to that is, you're right, it's really common. Entrepreneurs do SOPs. And I think that's great. The danger behind SOPs is they're fixed. And you just said it. So we can now do this change if we do this. What's interesting is the fact that they've like, I don't know if they like told you that or if they asked you the question, can we change it? My thing is like, look, this is the rough guide of how I do it. You're going to go away now and do it. And you're going to record your own SOP of doing this. And then number two, these are the metrics I'm going to measure you by. And I expect to see improvements on this. So. What I try, what I really recommend is actions are great to get the ball rolling, but once the ball's rolling, stop talking about, like, I really don't talk about SOPs, I talk about results. I talk about, I want to see an improvement in that measure there, that like click-through rate. What are you going to do about that? And I I don't know. Cool. Okay. Let's talk about it. How can you find YouTube videos on how to improve click-through rate? What can we do? Let's test this variance. And and what I'm not going to do is update the SOP. I might even ask them to update it. But like, I'm done. Like, I've just got the ball rolling. Their job now is to make sure that ball's rolling faster. Yeah,
0: love it. Exactly, because it's all about that positive feedback back in. If you're the one constantly updating an SOP, you're doing SOPs wrong, right? Uh, so I love that at the end of the day. Okay, so the last thing I want to talk about, I have a note section here, was, yeah, what you up to next? So what are, you, what are your plans for the future? What are your travel plans? Um, And, and or, you know, yeah, what, what are you up to? Every time I'm on social media, I'm always seeing you, you know, at some cool place or doing some cool thing so you know what's next for thomas
1: it's interesting like this year i made a real strategic vision that i wanted to travel more one of my measures of success was to hit Platinum State status on marriott bonvoy hotels so i've done like 52 nights Mar- marriott which i'm really happy with i've done like 15 nights in hilton i've probably traveled an insane number of flights like a crazy amount but going forward into next year uh, like, by the way, I don't just travel for the sake of traveling. I really try and travel for strategic objectives. Like, I want to go meet someone who's doing something really cool in business, and I want to go build that relationship, or I want to go to a great event. So I went to Tony Robbins' event, Business Mastery, in person this year, which is great. Uh, I've been to Funnel Hacking Live. I really enjoyed that. I just want to go meet cool people doing cool stuff. Again, it's that lifestyle design and enabling your business to bring that to life. So, for me next year, haven't we planned out too far? And I'm still kind of leave it by air, or should I just kind of see how it goes? Strategically speaking, we're looking to start into Germany. So, I'd like to try and build another seven figure company in Germany and doing arbitrage again. We'll continue building Classic FPS. We probably won't extend too much. We're just trying to grow the business rather than say vertically, rather than you know, more products and services, we're not looking to do that. And then the other thing which I really want to do is, it's a very simple one. I want to go to the Philippines for a month. I want to, I haven't met my team until before COVID, so I want to go meet them all. I want to do some really good kind of high-level meetings with my senior leadership team to define the vision over the next 10 years, five years, one year, and slash that out. And also as well, it's a beautiful country I'd love to go see. So... Not too much strategically as well. This year I challenged myself to learn salsa. Now that's Cuban salsa, I'm really happy with that. But also next year, my strategic vision is to do Spanish. So I've got to learn Spanish. So not just work, but also life, trying to improve things. And I said to my girlfriend and I that we would actually go spend some of my points traveling around Latin America, going to different parts of it, dancing salsa every weekend. And I thought that'd be like a beautiful way to spend your life and also to give her like a bit of a thank you to say, putting up with me working so much.
0: Yeah, definitely. I love that. So yeah, if anyone's interested, I definitely recommend following Thomas's social media at a minimum, just to kind of get inspired and see what kind of lifestyle you can create when you are able to make money on your own terms. So uh, with that, Thomas, if, if, anyone's interested in following you on social media, being a part of fast track, fast track FBA, learning from you, where can they find you?
1: Fast track FBA everywhere, fast track fast track FBA, Instagram, fast track FBA YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, fast track FBA. That's it. I pretty much to it out. I, I kind of blog talk about my journey. It's not just about Amazon, but also talking about like, you know, traveling points, lifestyle, business mindset as well. Like, um, I believe we live in an amazing time and I love to share that. And it's not just about one key thing. It's about having opportunity and taking advantage of it. So, yeah, that's getting content that way.
0: Awesome. fast track FBA everywhere. And uh, you'll find Thomas. So, again, Thomas, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate your time and uh, we'll be in touch. And we'll hopefully have you up on on a follow-up to see what you're up to next. Thank you very much. Have a good one.